Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to What the Fab, a fan's first sports network fantasy baseball show where there are no silly questions. I'm Sarah Sanchez, and as always, I am here to break down what's going on in fantasy baseball with some of the greatest minds in the industry in a way that strives to demystify this wonderful game of it while bridging the gap between your home league and the NFBC main of it. Today, we're checking in on the state of fantasy baseball at the All-Star break, plus looking at big trends, stolen base increases, pitcher clocks, and the impact on pitchers that have struggled, the impact of prospects getting called up on FAB, and more, plus how projection systems can aid in second half planning with Ariel Cohen. You know Ariel from Rotographs. He's the host of the Beat the Shift podcast and the creator of the ATC projection system. Thanks for joining me and welcome to What the Fab, Ariel. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Sarah. How are you doing in this all-star break weekend week? It's amazing. Half the way done. I can't believe we're more than halfway through the season. I honestly, like when I was doing some of the research for this show and I was looking at some of the benchmarks and numbers that we're going to talk about here shortly, I was, I was just stunned. I'm like, oh my God, I can literally just look at first half numbers. We're already there. It's already more than half of the season in the books. I know both of our teams have disappointed so far this season, although my team is doing exactly what I thought they would do. So it's less of a disappointment for me. Which is How better. <laughs> Which is better? Where, where you expected your team to be bad and they're bad, or where you expected better? I don't know. I mean, I think that the Cubs fans who thought that this Cubs team was going to challenge for the playoffs are much more disappointed than I am. And I was pretty sure this was a 75 to 78 win team. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I'm doing pretty good, other than the Mets are uh, pretty lousy. And uh, I think they have to win like 42 games just to make 500 or something like some crazy thing like that. Like, it's not happening. The Mets are not making the playoffs. Uh, I think uh, my ATC projections have it at like a 14% chance that they would make the playoffs uh, from here on in and a 0% chance they would overtake the Braves to win the division. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty much, uh, it's pretty much done. Uh, unfortunately, I think. I mean, crazier things have happened, but honestly, most of the reason that I'm sad that the Mets and the Padres, for that matter, have disappointed is I wanted teams who paid, spent money and traded for big stars to get rewarded. Like, I wanted the teams who put their bank accounts on the line for a solid season to win. I think that that's what baseball needs. I, I'm, I'm not as happy with the Reds coming up with like, look, we don't spend any money, but we have all these prospects and now we're the first place team in the NL Central. Look, the Rays have raised it again. You know, it's like, great. Now you're just going to encourage everybody else not to spend money. <laughs> nah, I, I like it. I mean, when you have the Rays who are putting all this effort into analytics and it pays off, I mean, we're analytics people. So I, I think that's a win for us. It is a win for analytics, but it's probably less of a win for me seeing Shohei Otani playing on the north side of Chicago next yeah, season. No. Uh, is, is, that's probably out of the question. Uh, let's jump into some news around the league, just some injuries, guys, to keep an eye on. 
Uh, but, you know, there's always situations where guys get hurt, they get a little bit of extra rest, all those types of things. But but more importantly, some of the dudes we're going to talk about here, dudes who are coming back. And so we'll just start with the Braves. Uh, Max Breed has started a rehab assignment that will likely push Michael Soroka out of the Braves rotation at some point after the All-Star break. I suppose it could push Colby Allard out instead, although when I've looked at Allard's numbers, I think Allard is a much more intriguing pitcher at this moment in time than Soroka. Uh, any interest in Allard? What are you thinking with Breed? Yeah, well, so Soroka to me is just a, a, a name. You know, he had a great 2019 season. That's four years ago. Uh, I've got no interest in him, and I, I hope the Braves uh, understand that as well. Uh, Allard, it looks a little bit interesting. I mean, he's pushing his uh, strikeout rate up to the highest of his career. It's at 27%. Swing strike rate, 12%. I mean, so he's only pitched 10 innings. You know, don't get me wrong, but that, that, that looks good. And, you know, for fantasy this year, wins, the wins category, especially for Roto, and, and if you're in a head-to-head points league, wins are very, very important. Uh, wins are hard to come by, and he plays on a good Braves team. So you want a pitcher who's pitching every five days on the Braves, and he's looking like he's striking at everybody. I, I don't know that I, I'm going to fully trust him right now, but if I'm in a deep league, if I'm in a 15-team league or so, why not take a chance to at least acquire him on your roster? Right? He can't be that expensive. Uh, so unless you're injury-ridden and you just have no room, why not? You know, you, you, He could be somebody that's useful, and he's worth the gamble to at least acquire. I totally agree with that. He's also a former first-round guy. Like He's one of these dudes that I think kind of struggled when he came up initially, and so he fell off the radar of pretty much everybody. And what he's doing right now seems pretty good. So that's Colby Allard. Uh, as a reminder, if you're looking for some help from guys who are not super uh, heavily rostered, uh, the Red Sox are a pitching disaster at this moment in time. I mean, they lost Tanner Houck on a comebacker. Garrett Whitlock now has another forearm injury. I think this is the second one this year. James Paxton was on paternity leave, but he came back and pitched uh, just before the All-Star break. There are some interesting names here. Cutter Crawford is the guy that I keep coming back to. Interesting Cutter Crawford or anybody else in the Red Sox system. Well, hold on a second. I'm getting a phone call right now. Hold on a second. Oh, hi, Chaim Bloom. What's going on? Oh, you need a pitcher? What's going What? I mean, that. They're just dropping like flies. And and James Paxton, you think he's going to last all season long? No. Uh, Nick Pavetta is going to be pushed into the rotation. He intrigues me. Uh, he's done it in the past. Got that good strikeout rate. So he does intrigue me. I think Chris Murphy is an option for them as well. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty bad uh, in Red Sox land here. Um, and, you know, they're not they're not a terrible team this year, but uh, that that staff, that starting rotation, is is just awful. Uh, I don't. I'm not really interested in that many people. Cutter Crawford, I think, is a matchup play. Uh, Nick Pavetta, I think, is the most interesting to me for upside. Uh, not much else though. Yeah, uh, great call on one the the Red Sox making a trade, and also on Nick Pavetta. I think we forget about him sometimes because he's been, you know, he's been middling. He's one of these guys. He's kind of like a Matt Strom to me, right? Like, and yeah, I just keep yeah. waiting. I've been waiting for the Phillies to just push Strom into the rotation for it feels like ages now. It seems like he's the obvious dude, but um, that's a great call on Nick Pavetta. One team that is getting guys back finally, and guys who could be really useful if they were dropped in your league. The Tigers are going to bring back Eduardo Rodriguez and Tarek Skubal uh, was back this week as well. I, it has been, no, there's nothing on the waiver wire for starting pitching right now. Every week I go and look and try to find a guy. At this point, I find myself speculating on dudes coming back from injury more often than not. Uh, I am very interested in both Eduardo Rodriguez and Tarek Skubal. Yeah, just a point about the waiver wire. You're right. It's very, very uh, 
barren. I mean, if you're playing in a 15-team league, an NFBC style or, or whatever, um, you're looking there, and there's, like, nobody who I want to pick up. Um, I, the days where you you would pick up literally anybody who had two starts uh, are, are done. Uh, what, the pitchers today don't go five innings. They go four innings. The, we're talking about the bottom pitchers of the league, right? If you, if you have some guy who's available on your waiver wire, odds are he ain't pitching into the sixth inning or maybe not even making it. So if, if you think that you're getting the two-start pitcher from somebody and, oh, I got two chances at wins, you're not. You're getting no chances at wins. You're better off picking like a middle reliever, um, like uh, Piamps from uh, or I don't even know how to pronounce his name from uh, Milwaukee. Well, that guy is, is looking really good. I went to a game last week with him uh, pitching. Uh, take a guy like Cano on on the Orioles. I mean, you just roll with him all week. Look, you know, take anybody anybody a middle reliever. They're gonna get you just as many strikeouts and a better chance to win than these guys. So you know that that's the general strategy is like don't even bother with those. But yeah. Eduardo Rodriguez and Tyreek Skubal, excellent. I mean, Eduardo, Eduardo Rodriguez, I uh, going into you know the last couple of years, he was a sleeper for me. He showed great strikeout rate, and he looks like he's getting back into it this year. Um, everything he's doing looks legit, other than his strand rate is a little bit high. So you know he's not the two ERA pitcher; he's more mid threes. But everything else looks legit, and I think Erod is an excellent pitcher. And Tarek Skubal, fantastic year at last year, three five ERA. Um, and his fastball velocity so far, in, he's only been eight innings, but he looked at 96 miles an hour, which is not just one, but two ticks up. Uh, definitely, those are great, great picks. I, I, if, you, if they're available, and in, in, even in like a 12-team, I'd pick those guys up quickly. Yeah, I, I'm i a big fan of Rodriguez in particular. I remember him back in his Red Sox days. I always thought he was kind of sneakily underrated then, but at, with the two seasons that he's had, uh, recently, I think people just kind of forgot about him. That dude is one of the better pitchers who could help your team. And he's a, he's available in a lot of places because people forgot about him. I did not get Tarek Skubal where I was trying to get him on the waiver wire this weekend, but I did get another guy uh, who I think should be back shortly after the all-star break. That's Jose Quintana, who the Mets really need to throw a bunch of innings. And the thing about Q is that he's probably not giving you like a 2.5 ERA or a million strikeouts, but he's going to throw six or seven innings. He's going to do it consistently, and he's probably going to do it to the tune of like a four-ish ERA, which this season is below average, so I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah, well, you've seen Quintana more than uh, I have. He's been on the south side, the north side. He's been everywhere. Uh, he's, he's had great years. I mean, all the years with the White Sox, he had, you know, sub-3-5 ERA every single year. And last year, he looked like back to that self. I mean, he was a uh, sub-3. He was a 2-9. Um, yeah, I, I think the Mets have a t are a team that has underperformed, uh, especially in the offense. And I, I think that uh, he'll get the run support if he's healthy, which uh, I, I can't tell you whether he is or not. Uh, that's definitely a spark plug. I remember uh, drafting back in all the way back in March and very deep leagues that have IL. I said, you know, for your last waiver, for your last uh, draft pick, right? Just pick up Quintana, put him on your IL. What the heck? You know, if you're in a very shallow, if you're a very uh, shallow league, then uh, sorry, very deep league, that is like uh, an NL only take a gamble on him. So, uh, yeah, that, that's definitely a stash that you might want to pick up now. I did, and I'm hoping it pays off because I really need wins in a handful yeah. of leagues, as you were just talking about. Uh, let's talk about the Angels for a second. They've lost Mike Trout. 
for probably, uh, I'm going to say on the longer side of this four to eight weeks thing. And the reason I'm going to say that is because the Angels have always been super cautious with Mike Trout and injuries. I feel like he's always on the extended end of where that injury estimate is. So I'm thinking it's closer to two months than one month. But uh, in the meantime, it sort of looked like Joe Adele was going to get a shot. And then Joe Adele had to leave after taking like one plate appearance for an oblique issue. I think this playing time has to go to Mickey Moniak and Taylor Ward. And frankly, like those are two guys I am interested in in the second half that, you know, they had their struggles in the first half, but I'm curious what you think of what APC has to say about those two guys. And Mickey Moniak, um, he's, and the telltale sign for him is he's batting leadoff. I mean, if you're going to pick a spot, hello, would you like to bat behind Trout and Otani? Uh, hell, yeah, I mean, that's got to be one of the best spots in baseball to uh, to bat, and the Angels are putting there every single time. Uh, I'm, I'm high on Moniak. I think he's got the nice power-speed combo. Uh, he's definitely, if he's not owned in your league, he should be. I picked him up I picked him up early in the season, but I re-picked him up wherever I, I did not have him anymore. Uh, definitely a good spark plug. Joe Adele, um, I don't know. I, I, I think this guy is a quad A player. I, I don't see him really making it in the majors. You know, what you want to look for is you want to look over all the seasons where he's been up and down and up and down. Has he made changes? Has he made improvements? And you're looking at just quickly just the strikeout rate. It's improved a little bit this year in the minors, but not much. I mean, he's he used to hit 31, 32% strikeout rate. It's 27% in the minors this year, and so far in 14 plate appearances in the majors, six strikeouts, so that's over 40. Uh, I, I don't see him having success. I just don't. Yeah, he'll have the occasional homer. It doesn't steal a heck of a lot, uh, but I, I don't see him really as, as an option there. So I think the Angels are going to turn to their other ones, uh, unfortunately, for Adele. Yeah, th this Angels team looks like they're on the cusp of being interesting, too, in the second half. Like, they could go on a little bit of a run and be playoff relevant. All I want in the world is for Shohei Otani and Mike Trout to be playoff relevant for a season. So yeah. it would be that would be fun for that to happen, but it's going to be more difficult for them without Mike Trout. So they are definitely going to need Moniak or Ward or some combination thereof, or maybe Anthony Rendon gets a, gets a shot in the arm in the second half. They need something there in Anaheim. Um, another team in L.A. that that could use some pitching. And I, I, I honestly, I used to look at Dodger starters and just think, Oh, it's a Dodger starter. Like I'm just going to pick them up because they're going to be outstanding. That has not been the case this year, whether that's because they have worse defense behind them with the new shift rules, whether it's because they are getting older, whether it's because any number of things could be happening here. The Dodgers have disappointed and Clayton Kershaw on the IL. I think we all kind of wait like that, that time to round the all-star break is just like, we would like Clayton Kershaw to be healthy later in the season, but oh, the Dodgers, don't look like the juggernaut that they have been in years past. And I am not as keen to speculate on their pitching. No, I mean, I was very high on Gavin Stone going into the uh, season. and He looked terrible up. Um, they got uh, Michael Grove. Doesn't look great. He walks just so many guys, a lot of homers, pedestrian strikeout rate. Uh, yeah, this is not a, a year. I mean, the Dodgers are a team that are known to if they're going for it to import some pitching, I can absolutely see them looking towards the trade market at the deadline to import somebody. We mentioned Eduardo Rodriguez. I mean, that's got to be a great destination for him to go. So I, I can see the Dodgers getting helped out from the outside of the organization, not the in. I'm not a fan of, of their guys who are just trying to shuffle in. Uh, and yeah, Kershaw, I mean, whether he's injured or not, we know he's going to be out. That's just the way that the uh, Dodgers figured it. I'm surprised that he lasted out this long on the I.L. But remember, the Dodgers are not running away in first place, uh, not like other years. So they needed a little bit more out of him this year. 
but let, let's see what kind of help they get on the trade market. I can guarantee you they're going to get one of the top, I don't know, four pitchers out there. Uh, that, that's my prediction. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see who they target for sure. Um, another a guy who just came back off the injured list, and I got to see him up against my Cubs, Carlos Rodon, uh, had a nice comeback start for the New York Yankees. Um, looked healthy, stuff looked good. Got outdueled by Jamison Tyon because baseball. <laughs> We're going to talk about Tyon in a minute. But, uh, <laughs> what did you see from Carlos Rodon in his return? <laughs> I mean, uh, Carlos Rodon, he's one of these players that I consider, like Kershaw and like, let's say, Max Reed that we talked about a little bit earlier, uh, when, when they perform, when they pitch, they're great. Like I, I'm not worried about bad performance. I'm worried about no performance is, is the equation. So I have no doubt that Radon uh, is great. Uh, his fastball velocity so far was pretty much spot on from where it was last year and the year before when he was really good. So I don't see anything right now that looks like he wouldn't be. I know he didn't strike at a lot of batters in his first start, but that's his first start, and he really limited the hits. So um, I, I expect him to be fine. I can't imagine he's available in too many leagues because uh, if he's on, if you're on the IL, you know you have him, and he's too good a starter to not have been scooped up by now. Um, so if he's available, obviously going to pick up, but uh, not much you can do there. Yeah, I, I, I have good hopes for him uh, if he's healthy. That's always a big if with Carlos Rodon. Yeah, totally agree. Um, Pirates DFA Nelson Cruz. Where do you think Nelson Cruz will land? And any interest in him helping out a contender who needs a power bat and a steady presence in the lineup? Padres and Nelson Cruz. Well, first of all, I want to say thank you very much to Nelson Cruz uh, because all the years that I had him on my roster, he never disappointed. Uh, the guy outperformed his draft spot like every single year, period. I, I, can you think of a year that you drafted him? Maybe early in his career when he was injured, uh, but he, he just unbelievable and he got better with age. Uh, I, I think this is the end. Uh, I, I think it, it, I, I can't imagine, I can't imagine him going to, to a, a contender now and he's going to be better than whoever's there. Like uh, he's been signing the last couple of years. He was signed with the nationals last year. He, he, he's just signing to play. He's not signing with any contenders. Uh, I don't see a big need. I mean, I, I guess he's cheapish. So if a team really is desperate, they'll, they'll take a shot. But and, and, and if the team doesn't want to bring up their prospect now and they need a hole, okay. Um, I think we got a 70% chance that we never see him play another game. Um, but but thank you, Nelson Cruz. I mean, I, when I had him in my lineup, the word that I used to use was monster. He was an absolute yeah. monster. So uh, thank you. And uh, if this is the last, it was nice knowing you. Yeah, he, what a scary hitter for the duration of his career. Right. Um, the guy that I sort of think of as the next Nelson Cruz is J.D. Martinez, who is currently helping me out a ton and just overperforming what you think he can do. And, you know, these guys are UT only, so they wind up holding up that spot, and it, it creates a little bit of roster and flexibility. But, man, they they just produce, and they're such good, yeah. powerful Oh, And hitters. by the way, by the way, you know, he was really close, Nelson Cruz, to going to 500 homers. He was he was just about twenty or thirty off. Like if he would have had, he didn't have a good year this year. But maybe if he would have, he would have been close. And I mean, do you consider Hall of Fame for that? Five hundred homers, lifetime two seventy something average. It's I mean I don't think he'll make it, but it's really close. He's not that far off. Career WAR of forty one. Pretty good. It's definitely closer than you think it is for it, sure. It's much closer. Yeah, it's like who do you think is the better performer lifetime? Is it Joey Votto or Nelson Cruz? 
Well, Joey Votto is so interesting to me right now. I, I'm in love with this Reds team. And I know that's sacrilegious for me to say as a Cubs <laughs> fan, because like <laughs> theoretically, I should want the Cubs to win the NL Central. I do. Like I would rather the Cubs win the NL Central than the Reds. But I found myself cheering for the Reds against the Brewers, even though the smart Cubs fan move is for the Brewers to win those <laughs> games right now. And I was like, I can't do it. I've got Joey Votto hitting bombs. I've got Ellie De La Cruz stole second, wow. third, and home on three pitches. That two, was against Kaya. It was unbelievable. I was just yeah. like that. That is the most fun I've had watching baseball this side of Javier Baez deking the Pirates into like letting him steal first and second and score a run. So, oh, that play where all they had to do was go backwards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah all they had to one, do was touch the bag. Yeah. That was one of those plays that I don't think my little leaguers make that play. Like, I think my little <laughs> leaguers just say you go to first and you step on it. Like, they so bad, so bad on so many levels. <laughs> but yeah, the Joey Votto being like the granddad of this Reds team is is pretty great, and I'm here for it. Um, couple more injuries to talk through before we jump into where the league is at and some ways to use projections going forward. Uh, Tyro Estrada to the IL. That's actually a huge hit for fantasy Ooh, and yeah. for the Giants. He's having a great season. He's one of the stolen base uh, leaders that I was going to talk about here. I guess that means more playing time for Casey Schmidt. Casey Schmidt has really been disappointing and he's just not that interesting to me. Is there anybody here in this Giants lineup that you're interested in speculating on? No, I mean, the Giants, you like to platoon guys. Um, you know, Estrada coming to the season, the worry about people drafting him was that he would be platooned and that whatever he did last year wasn't real. But I think we see that he, it, it was more than real. Uh, he hasn't been platooned. He's been great. 18 stolen bases, nine homers, 272 average. I have him in tout wars. I'm very upset that he's uh, he might be out for quite a while. Um, yeah, I'm not really a fan of the other guys on the Giants. I mean, going to the season, my my goal was don't draft Giants because they're not going to get the playing time. The only other guy on the Giants that I think surprised us was J.D. Davis, who uh, it's a really double whammy as a Met fan. What in the world did we just throw him to the Giants for, for nobody? Like, we wanted to upgrade. Uh, we wanted an upgraded righty power hitter. What? We, he was the upgrade. We got Darren Ruff, who we – just DFA'd, who, by the way, ended up back on the Giants for a short period of time this year. Uh, so, no, nobody else. I mean, Casey uh, Schmidt, I mean, he bats eighth or ninth. He hardly does anything. No interest. So, uh, uh, unfortunately, I think you're going to have to look at a different ball club for a replacement. Yeah, that platoon risk with the Giants is real. It's it's a pain in the butt to have somebody like Lamont Wade Jr. on your team and to know that they're only going to start half the games one week. And so even the positional flexibility just doesn't help you no. at all. Um, a team that has no options, as far as I can tell. I mean, I'm looking at roster resource over on Fangraphs, and I'm just like, what? The Cardinals have Adam Wainwright on the injured list. And honestly, Wayno must be wishing he had just retired with Yachty because this, this season has been kind of a disaster. But they've got... Really, nobody to take that shot. That's fine. Well, he could have done the uh, the national anthem on opening day, even if he wasn't on the roster. So, I, I maybe they didn't tell him that. I don't know. Uh, but no, he's he looks like he's done, 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 done. Uh, if he if the Cardinals were in it, like if they were actually legitimately in the playoff race, he would have been DFA. Absolutely. Um, but and nobody's going to be interested in trading him. Like, would you, if you're a contender, you're going to want him starting for you as your fifth starter. Are you going to want him in the bullpen? No. So he's done. Uh, I think the, the Cardinals are going to treat him right and not get rid of him. So they're just going to put him in the IL for longer than they think. Maybe they'll bring him back. 
will pitch a game or so. Maybe what they'll do is, like, uh, what they do with A-Rod is, all right, it's now time for your last game. We'll have Adam Wainwright Day sometime in, you know, end of August, early September, and see you later. Maybe they'll do that. Maybe they'll let him pitch the last couple of outings because who the hell cares? They're out of the playoffs. But, yeah, he has no use in fantasy anymore. Um, that's it. And sorry, what a great career. Although, uh, you know, again, I, I just remember him striking out Carlos Beltran, uh, for that last pitch of the, uh, 20, uh, 2006 or so. Uh, so, uh, I was never in love with the guy because of that, but, uh, he did have a pretty good career. Uh, and I think we're, I think, uh, I think that's it. I've still got Cruz and Wainwright sending off in, into the sunset this year. I mean, yeah, once you hit over 40, I think the only other guy in the league who's over 40 is Rich Hill. And Rich Hill may just just be throwing curveballs until he's... I would rather have Bartolo. Rich Hill. I would rather have Bartolo Colon right now on my <laughs> roster than, than Wainwright. Oh, yeah. um, one last injury to talk about. The Rays, have, they have the deepest pitching in baseball because they've got Shane McClanahan on the IL and their rotation still looks pretty good. One guy I am interested in here, I picked up Yanni Trinos in a couple of places just to see what I can get out of him and see if there's anything interesting there. But it is stunning the number of quality starting pitchers the Rays currently have on the IL. You've got Shane Boz on the IL. You've got Shane McClanahan on the IL. You've got Drew Rasmussen on the IL. You've got Jeffrey Springs on the IL. I mean, they have an entire rotation of aces on the injured list, and they've still yeah. got Tyler Glasnow and Todd Bradley, and they still look all right. Uh, I owned all of those guys. I owned Springs and Rasmussen on like every single team. And, you know, the question is, did I do it right? Um, yeah, I mean, there were the right call. How am I supposed to know they're all going to get injured? Uh, but yeah, so the problem with the Rays, though, is that, you know, again, you're looking for wins. It's not a guarantee that they're going to give you length. Um, Chirinos, I like, I like him, but is he going to pitch more than five innings? I, I guess, though, you have to think that the Rays do need innings out of their starters at some point. Like, if, if McClanahan's not pitching, who's grabbing the innings? Like he was the he was the guy who was eating innings. So they probably do need some of the other starters to to bulk up a little bit. So in that sense, Chernos becomes a little bit more interesting. Uh, but but it is tough. By the way, we were talking about Wainwright. Uh, you know, Stephen Matz looked pretty good in his last outing. Uh, he looked really good. So. Who knows? Maybe he found something. Maybe, maybe maybe a spark is there. That could be an option to replace your team from St. Louis. And yeah, the Rays. It, it's it, what a shame there. But they're still in first, and they're still gonna they're gonna make the playoffs. Uh, and just hoping that all their guys are are now healthy for the uh, for the end. And I would say that you know the Rays don't like to do this to bring in these big guys, but uh, I can see them this year saying, you know what, this is our year. Let's make sure of it, and let's trade somebody away because their their system keeps turning out great guys. They can probably afford some prospects, and uh, there are some teams who are going to give you players who will eat cash. I mean, talk to the Mets. Max Scherzer, Mets will Mets will eat like thirty five uh, out of forty million or even more of his contract uh, for prospects. I can see that kind of arrangement happening. So, especially cashless. So you might see an import also on the Rays. I was going to say the the Mets would do that deal. The Cubs also like deals like that. I mean, they, they've got some guys in Drew Smiley and Marcus Stroman who have weird option opt-out issues going on. And I think you could, you could get one of those two dudes and get, if you need innings, the Cubs have some innings for you there. Although Drew Smiley, I think it's already thrown 94 innings and was at like 119 or something as his peak for the last five years. So I think Drew Smiley's wrong. Borrowed time. Borrowed yeah. time. <laughs> 
yeah. might be might be coming to an end as well. Um, we are going to take a quick break for our sponsors, but don't go anywhere because on the flip side, we're going to talk about the rules changes and how they have impacted categories across the league. Some interesting looks at stolen bases, some interesting looks at the pitch clock. We're also going to talk about the ATC projection system and how you should be using it for your second half planning. But first, a quick break. All right, we're back. So on the stolen base front, this was stunning to me, and I sort of knew it was going to be stunning. Like I knew going in that this was a thing that I was going to see just based on the numbers that I can see in my leagues and how many stolen bases you need right now to be at the top of your league. But at this point, at, at this, these are all first half numbers, by the way. I didn't do like exact date comparisons. I thought first half, first half was probably better. But at, for the first half in 2022, two teams had more than 70 stolen bases. It was my, uh, Miami and Texas with 74 and 75, respectively. And at this point in 2022, four guys had 20 plus bags. Nobody had 30 plus bags. In 2023, there are currently 12 teams with over 70 stolen bases and two with over 100 stolen bases. And there are 13 players with more than 20 steals and two with more than 40. We are looking at astronomical jumps in stolen base numbers at this moment in time. I want to just talk about it from a categories perspective, and then we'll talk about where those jumps are occurring. What are you seeing just in terms of the needs your team has for stolen bases? Because I find myself just like, I'm vacuuming up stolen bases on the waiver wire. I'm in the 12 team tout wars league. My last few additions have been Matt McLean, Corey Jolks, Jake Fraley, who's in a platoon with Nick Senzel at the moment, but he runs and he hits home runs and I need those stolen bases. Like what are you seeing on the stolen base needs on the waiver? Yeah, so we're coming to a point in fantasy where it's looking more like about six, seven years ago. And what I mean by that is, you know, six, seven years ago, I, I would always say, what? Well, don't worry, there's plenty of speed on the waiver wire. You can always get somebody. Sure, they're not going to be amazing. They're not, you know, we're talking about dollar players. Uh, they have no power, you know, no other stuff. But they'll get you steals. If you need help in specific categories, you can find that. The last couple of years, you didn't have that. Waiver wire is barren with anybody who can steal. You pretty much had to get your either your big stolen base guy, and there weren't too many. Or uh, what I used to do is always pick people in your draft that steal homers, but has ten steals. You know, make sure you've got steals at every at every slot because they're just so scarce. I never liked the idea of pushing up steals. Like everyone just kept pushing up steals. Oh, steals are so scarce, so we got to push them up, and it created a panic. Even though they're not all that valuable. Uh, but it was just the the desperation and the uh, scarcity of of the uh, of the category that uh, you know drafters would just pounce and drive up the price. Um, they might have still done that last this past year in 2023. Um, it, it, obviously, they didn't do it as much, but they might even been doing it too much. When you have a situation where, I mean, let's take forget about the top two guys. You got Acuna that has 41 stolen bases, right? That's just that's crazy, right? And Esther Ruiz <laughs> has 43. I mean, we knew that's what he would do, right? That That's Esther Ruiz. But if you take take out those guys, the next 11 players have between 20 and 28. That's pretty round. The next uh, couple players, so there are the next 17 players have more than 15. The next 20, 35, uh, sorry, 30 players almost have more than 10, right? So you're getting a very even distribution of players other than if you're lucky to get Acuna or if you were, you know, you took the leap and getting a cheap Ruiz, which, you know, would have been amazing. Um, so you don't have that scarcity issue and they're all available on the waiver wire. I mean, Corey Jolks, for example, he's been on the waiver wire, even in 15 team leagues up and down 
he's stealing you bases. Jaywan Bay, he's been on and off the waiver wire. He steals bases. So if you actually need that category, there are options. Uh, it's not one of these things that too bad. You got to trade. Um, there's more and more acceptable. And the way to have played it, of course, this season is to load up more on power, load up more on the other stuff to cost those stolen bases more and more ready, readily available. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you're in a good position now. You can make up. I, I, like I'm in, I'm in an NFBC auction league right now, and we are very low on stolen bases. But I'm not worried because I'm only a couple away because it's all more even. And there are options. I just picked up Jorge Mateo on, on the waiver wire in a 15-team NFBC league. I, I know he's not going to be great. He could be good. But he's going to get me stolen bases down the road. I'm not worried. If I get seven more stolen bases than I would have, that's another six points in the standings that could catapult me up almost to first place. So uh, there, it's not to worry. You should not be in panic mode. Just scour the wire for guys who can and plug them in. You know, it's interesting. A couple of the guys that you brought up, uh, and Jolks is one that I want to talk about for a second. I, I don't think I have any interest in Corey Jolks coming into this season whatsoever, but with the injury to Jordan Alvarez, with Jose Altuve going on and off the IL, he's he's gotten a, quite a bit of playing time. And the thing is, he's not an absolute zero of power. He's already got six home runs. He's hitting, you know, he's hitting in the middle-ish of a good lineup. It's one of those situations where you can get a reasonable number of bases and also get counting stats and also get a little bit of power. And I think what it does for me is it devalues some of the guys who are speed only, right? Like it oh, yeah. devalues a mile straw or a um, John birdie, like a guy who I was really taking just for the steals. Oh, I don't Birdie's have not to even do that. Stealing. Birdie's doing nothing. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. You know, you figure like his average this year is like 280. You figure, Oh wow. Birdie, at least I'll get stolen bases. He's not stealing anything. Freddie Freeman is more stolen bases than John Birdie. How is that possible? I don't know. But, uh, yeah, if, if the Marlins are not sending him and he's getting on, what does that tell you about Birdie? Oof. Well, and the Marlins aren't shy to run. Like, they are running this yeah. year. It's just they're not running with John Birdie for whatever Weird. reason. Weird. Weird. Yeah. It must be something, right? It, it can't be. There's got to be some reason. It just makes no sense. And I, I have him on – On uh, I have him in labor – I, I, I'm like wary about dropping him. I'm going to drop him. And I, I, I know how to get him going. Ass. Yeah. I know how to get him going. Just <laughs> drop him my fantasy league. Then he'll get going. That's the way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> totally fair. Um, the other thing that I think is interesting here, and I, and I want to jump back to the team context for a second, because one of the things I used to look at all the time is which teams were running. Like, cause you, you don't want to pick up a guy and speculate on steals. And then the guy doesn't steal bases. Cause that team doesn't run at all. It's, a, it's amazing to me that almost half the league, has 70 plus steals at, at this point in time. All of the teams yeah. are figuring out ways to run. But also looking at some of the work, and Jason Collette was on the show a few weeks ago. We were looking at some of uh, his, he's been tracking, you know, the increases in steals, the nets of steals, those types of things. The teams who you can steal against. And it turns out one of those teams is, is the Los Angeles Dodgers. They, they are not set up to control the running game pretty much at all. And teams are running riot over the Dodgers. And so looking for those opportunities where somebody like a Jorge Mateo or where somebody like a Corey Jolts is going to have a ton of running room. I mean, the Cubs do this as much as anybody else. I, I noticed that like Nico Horner had like five stolen bases in the series against the Dodgers then didn't steal a bag again for like a month. And then all of a sudden they're up against a team that doesn't throw as well. And Nico's running again. And you know, there was a hamstring injury in there too. So it could have been injury caution, but it really does seem like teams are picking and choosing who they will run against. And if you have a handful of catchers whose pop time is 
up in that 1.92-ish range, those are guys who are going to get run on. Yeah. I mean, in general, the crappier teams or the teams with the le least amount of offense are the ones who are stealing more. I mean, Oakland, I, most of it is obviously from Ruiz, but they've got a 221 batting team batting average and they're, you know, right up there. Uh, Cincinnati, a bunch of young guys. It's the young guys. It's the crappy teams and the young guys. Cincinnati is doing great and they're young. They're going to steal. The, the funny one is Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay is actually number two. You'd think that, well, doesn't analytics tell you not to run? But maybe analytics is telling them, you know what, because of the bases being together or the lack of pickoff moves that you can do, you know, when you increase that probability of, uh, of a stolen base from, let's say it was 73% to now it's to 78%, maybe that flipped the dial for them to say, we're going to give more green lights. It's worth it to run. So maybe there's something to it. Uh, but, yeah, the, the power teams are not. Uh, <laughs> the Rockies have only 34 stolen bases. It's amazing that there are players in the league that have more stolen bases than the entire team. I always find those kinds of ridiculous stats funny. <laughs> yeah, I do, too. I'm actually looking at the Rays right now since you brought it up. And one of the things that is really interesting – oops, that is 20, 2022. So let me make this 2023. Really fast. A, um, a Rosarina leads it. Yeah, it looks well. A Rosarina led last year too, but the difference is last year Randy Rosarina had. Oh, sorry, not a, not a Rosarina. I'm thinking uh, uh, Franco. Franco leads it. Right. So last year Randy Rosarina was leading at the halfway mark with 19 stolen bases, but everybody else was under 10. So it looked like they were running less as a team overall this season. Wander Franco has 28. Taylor Walls has 20. Josh Lowe has 19, and Randy Rosarina has 10. It really does look like they have just decided to let some of their guys yeah. run. And the part-time really players frequently. are all stealing, right? Like yeah, yeah. Rally and Siri and Manny Margot, they're they're all running. They've got, you know, all high single digits. So, you know, they, anybody who's on base, they're running at a much higher clip than they used to be. I haven't calculated the uh I mean, what you really should be looking at is, you know, stone base opportunity is, you know, times yeah. where somebody is on first base and there's nobody uh, next to him and what percentage of the time they're running. I haven't calculated, but the Rays have got to be very high in that regard. Yeah, I think you're probably right about that. Let's move to a different part of the game that also was impacted by a ton of rule changes this year's pitchers. Uh, and one of the things that, you know, Max Scherzer has been really vocal about this. Um, Jamison Tyon has talked about it with the Cubs too. The, the pitch clock creates a fundamentally different environment for starting pitchers. And, and I've likened it to test anxiety. And I admit that's because I'm an old teacher and I taught for seven years. And so I, I've seen what can happen to students when you put, put a clock on them all of a sudden on a test versus not having a clock on them on a test. But it does seem like there are a handful of guys who are very impacted by the pitch clock. And then there's maybe 70% of the league where it is just not a big deal at all. But for those guys for whom it is a big deal, it is having massive impact. Like they are not the same dudes that we have seen in the last two or three years. And I'm curious what you think, how do we value those pitchers? You look at a guy like Manoa who got sent all the way back to complex league, really got blown up in a rookie ball start and then comes back and looks normal again. Like, I don't trust that. Do you trust that? What are you thinking? Yeah. Manoa, you know, he was almost actually going to be sent to my softball league to pitch against me. <laughs> and we, and we weren't worried either. No. Um, uh, yeah, you know, it, it's really it's one of these things that it's very hard to measure or it's very hard. It's not just it's hard to measure because you don't know that it's cause effect. Like if somebody has a bad outing, uh, must be the pitch clock. Like you don't know where it's coming from. My theory, though, is that um, pitchers who are close to max effort right now, you know, Alec Manoa 
probably throwing as hard as he could. He's not a very hard thrower. He doesn't strike out a lot of players. So between pitches, he's got to really reset himself. He's very cerebral. Like, remember that All-Star game the other year where you hear him talking to himself? Like, he he has to think before each pitch. Um, I know that if you don't think enough and if you don't reset, you're not as effective. Not to say that I'm on Alec Manoa's level, but I know myself that when I rush delivery and when I just keep going, I don't pitch as effectively as when I set and, 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 and pitch because I'm also like a Max Effort type guy. Um, I, obviously I'm not, not in no class of any of these guys, but it's the thought though, that, that I think is right. So the, the clock's going to affect him. The older guys who need to have a little bit more time to reset, who are not used to the hurry up motion. They're going to be most affected. I guess it, when the year is over, you know, we'll have to do a, a nice study in terms of looking at pitchers who we think are max effort, who maybe doesn't show uh, an increase Later in the year, like some of these, some of these pitchers are not max effort. You see, if they're going for the playoffs, they do bump it up at the end of the year, and maybe we can analyze some of those versus the others. Uh, but I, I think it has a lot to do with that. Um, it's you know, again, we don't we can't know for sure. Um, who knows about the ball? Like the ball changes every year. I have no idea what ball they're using. Nobody knows. MLB will certainly not tell you what ball they're using. That could have an effect. We don't know. Um, the new rules, I mean, the pickoff move, that 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 could have an effect. We don't know exactly the compilation of everything, but uh, it definitely has an effect. For people who are ingrained in this, people coming up through the minors who have had it, it's got to be an easier transition. You know, if you're used to a certain rhythm, you're used to a certain rhythm. If you're not used to it, just instituting it this year is really, really difficult. So remains to be seen, uh, but... Uh, yeah, it, it, it's hard to get a pinpoint, but I think that's the answer is the max effort. Max effort is one thing. The other thing that I wanted to flag here uh, that I think could be contributing is sequencing. And this is based off some comments that Tyon has made. So he really struggled against lefties early in the season, which has led teams to start stacking lefties every time he starts. And ironically, his really good start against the Yankees, the Yankees just didn't have the lefties to stack. So there were only right. three of them in the lineup, right. and he had this great start because he didn't have to worry about it. But that changed the way he was thinking about sequencing his pitches and the pitch clock puts pressure on his ability to think that through on the mound. So like he's trying to resequence on the fly based off of the way teams are approaching him differently in a way that they've never approached him before. And he's not getting very good results from that. And I think that there's there's two elements here. Like there's the physical effort that you have to do, but pitchers and catchers are making a ton of decisions every single batter, right? Like they're making yeah. decisions about like, oh, he swung at that cutter. So I'm going to now throw in this high fastball or whatever. Those decisions are take, they don't have as much time for them. They have to just lean into them. Yeah. And it favors the, it favors the batter in terms of advantage, right? The person who needs more time to think is going to be the pitcher, the batter. He's guessing what kind of pitch is going to come and he's doing his best to, to put the ball on the plate and guessing whether it's a striker or not. Uh, the, the pitchers, they've got more work to do. You're right. Sequence is a big thing. Uh, knowing, uh, knowing the, uh, the cold spots of each player and knowing, all right, well, I want to hit that cold spot in my third pitch, but I got to set it up by throwing fastball inside, right? You know, to, 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 to know, to do that, you're giving the pitchers, you know, 25% less time to think through these things. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And you, th you would think though, that, you know, these guys are professionals. These guys would have tons of prep, but. You know, it's still come down to it's a day-by-day -day war of attrition game, and the advantage has swung a little bit more to the batters for some of these pitchers. For the pitchers who work quickly, they're not, right? They're doing their usual. So, uh, you know, 
we'll do a study at the end of the year and we'll see, you know, who takes the most time, who are those guys affected, the, the hurry up guys in general, guys who pitch from the stretch versus wind up, you know, that, that it's all going to be part of the equation. Absolutely. I'm, I can't wait to see uh, what we get from the results of all of that. One last element of just the rules changes that I think is impacting the game we play pretty substantially. There have been so many more prospects called up early and, really premier prospects getting their shot early this season. Uh, lots of churn. I feel like I have spent probably 50% more fab in every league that I plan at this point of the season than I would normally have at this point. Like I usually used to think about it in terms of like, oh, I want to have like 40 to 50% of my fab left at the all-star break. And that just wasn't possible this year if I wanted to have any of these prospects on my team. So I kind of had to reevaluate I think I'm probably sitting at closer to like 20 to 35% of my original fab in almost every league that I'm in right now. I might be even a little bit lower in some of those leagues. And, and the thing that we have not talked about a ton as an industry, like we've talked about the amounts we're paying for these guys, right? Like you're going to have to pay $500 of your fab if you want to get an L.A. De La Cruz. And if you don't have $500 of fab left, then you're just out. Ellie worked like Ellie stayed and he's wonderful and he's doing all the things that he should be doing. Not all of these guys have worked the same way, right? Like there are a ton of guys who have been called up. Taj Bradley got called up. You spent $200 of your fab on Taj Bradley. And then he immediately got sent back down and you had to just hold for six or seven weeks and pray. I believe that there's a vacuum going in the background here. So I apologize <laughs> in advance that so everybody can probably hear the vacuum. So, um, you know, there's a lot of things that go into it. First of all, um, we have to talk about the why and why are you seeing all these prospects called up? I think there's two things. Number one is, you know, the COVID season sort of delayed the minors a little bit for some of these players. They missed out. Uh, so the timelines of some minor players got a little bit screwed up and you're seeing pretty much flushing out of, of everybody there now. And I think after this year, we'll be back to normal in the minors. But number two, the new rules in baseball in terms of how many teams make the playoffs is huge. You know, there are more teams who are in it, right? If, if you're in third place, you know, you might be a front runner for the wild card, whereas in the past, who are you? You know, you're a seller at the deadline. Now you're a buyer at the deadline, right? So because there are more teams in it, more teams who need the production, can't wait for these struggling vets to work it out. They're calling up who they have, and they're calling up sooner. So you're seeing more of it uh, on there. Of course, that means, you know, on the fab wire. Oh, by the way, we also have to make this distinction. Like, people are paying a lot on the wire. That's only in the NFBC. The NFBC has a special rule that if they haven't played a game in the majors, then they're not eligible to be picked up. If you're playing a game on CBS or Yahoo, you can pick them up at any time. Um, I didn't. I don't have Ellie Del Cruz on any team, but whoever picked them up picked them up for three dollars like two months ago. You know, it's very, very different scenario. In the NFBC, which I think you're referring to here by saying a lot of money, you know, you have to think it, it's not just a, a, a Ellie Cruz, Del Cruz works, so that means you got to spend a lot. Or Juan Soto, when he called was called up, he worked, so that means that you always got to spend. There are, in terms of the hit rate of the number of prospects that work and don't, it's so far over to the left where they don't work. Um, and then the amount that you have to spend on it, like the return on investment per dollar is very, very, very negative, right? Del Cruz is a huge positive. Sure. Tanner Bybee was, was a positive, right? But there are more and it's much more dramatic on the negatives. It tells you that in general, in general, if you said, 
uh, you for the rest of the year, you can only for every year you can only spend on prospects on the waiver wire, or you can spend on just random guys like the Corey Jolks and whoever just to fill in your injuries. Uh, which would you take? You should never take the prospects. It is so much more in favor of the hot right. It's, it's so much more in favor, you know. And when, and when you're when you're talking about it, sure, every single person is different. You do have to analyze case by case. But if you're blind and if you don't know anything, and if you want to put everything into a bucket, hot players, closers to pick up, right? There's different buckets on the waiver wire. Prospects are usually the worst. They cost the most by far, and they've got the lowest bust rate. So I'm not a fan of saying, "Oh wow, look at that!" You know, you got to spend. I'm not. I mean, I. Matthew Libertor was a bust. You, you can name so many guys who have been a bust, and so many guys, like we mentioned, Moniac have been good. Bryce Elder, nobody knew who he was earlier this year. He's been a great pickup. These guys didn't cost you that much. These guys were better. Uh, so I, 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 my suggestion to the audience is don't be hyped up by the fact that one could be an, a generational guy worked. Um, go on, on the percentages. That's what baseball clubs do. You know, Baseball clubs don't bring these guys up right away. They know they don't all hit. They know they need training. Um, t- temper your expectations in the future. Well, I think that's really smart advice. And I also think that it's worth remembering. I mean, some of these guys will hit at some point in time. They just oh, might yeah. not hit the first time they come up. I'm, I'm thinking about Matt Mervis for the Cubs. So if you look under the hood at what Matt Mervis did in the big leagues, it looks pretty good. The barrel rate looks good. The hard hit rate looks good. He was striking out a little bit more than you probably thought he was going to and what was going on in AAA. And you probably spent like a pretty penny on Matt Mervis unless you drafted him and, and held him until he got called up. And now he's sitting in Iowa and he doesn't have a job. And it's one of those situations where at some point this season, Matt Mervis is going to come up and that luck is going to change, right? Like all of those barrels that were being caught are going to fall and he's going to all he's going to look like the prospect we thought he was going to look like. That doesn't mean Matt Mervis is a bust, but it does mean that if you spent your $200 on Matt Mervis instead of Matt McLean, you're having a radically different bad experience right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, you, you, you could never judge the process by the results, good or bad. Just because you hit or just because you busted doesn't make it all, all, all good or bad. You got to judge the whole the whole thing. Um, yeah. Mervis should be good. I hope he's good. Uh, I had him on my show actually earlier this year. Nice to chat with Matt. Uh, we saw him in person at the Arizona Fall League. You were there as well, I know. Um, good, good, good guy, and uh, got a lot of power potential, and perhaps not ready for the call up yet. I mean, the Cubs—you could tell—you can tell he wasn't ready because the Cubs signed a bunch of guys in the offseason. I mean, they even gave Eric Hosmer a contract just to see. Uh, you'd say, wait a minute, why, why, why do that? You got Matt Mervis, but apparently he wasn't ready. So maybe the Cubs know something we don't. Um, but yeah, in terms of fab, just you got to play the percentages in anything. Like I tell people, um, you know, people ask me, were, were ATC projections right? And what does that mean? They were right. You know, I, I think that if I say that, if I if I want to buy somebody and ATC is right 70 percent of the time. And if I don't want to buy somebody and that's correct, 70 percent of the time, that's huge. Right. Like when, when you play these DFS contests. Um, and, and you play the, you know, one versus one, you know, just double your money. You know, if you're right 55% of the time, you're a huge winner. You don't have to be right more. You just have to be right a little bit more than average. And when you're doing any of these kinds of things, it's, it's about being right more of the time and prospects just don't, don't cut it for me on, on the being right, um, and just drain your money. So, um, well, let's see. Let's move to projections for a second, because one of the things you said there that was really interesting is that you would always take the ma- established major league guy over the prospect who hasn't done the thing yet. And and I just was faced with this decision. I had a waiver wire um, 
options of, and I bet on both, I, I bid on both of these guys. So CJ Crone versus Jordan Westberg, right? And it's like one of these questions of like, I know what CJ Crone is. I know what CJ Crone can do. I've watched what CJ Crone has done for multiple seasons. We have a ton of data on him at the big league level. Jordan Westberg is exciting and there's upside there and you don't know what could happen, but how do you approach that? And how would you use your projections in a situation like that? I think it's also game theory about playing the game. If you're in first place, second place, third place, and you need an injury replacement, right? You need to return an expected value. You need a consistent guy who's just going to get you the stats. I'm much more sure that CJ Crone is going to do CJ Crone stuff than I am of Jordan Westberg. But if I'm at the bottom and I'm in seventh place and without anything extraordinary i'm not gonna you know my team is not good i need a bump to, to to jump up i would rather have westberg in that situation i want the upside i would rather roster alec manoa than another pitcher you know i i i had alec manoa in one league this year and everybody else was like drop him forget it that's it what why you need him but i in that league unfortunately i was in like 14th place and i said the only 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 way that i can ever jump up is i need a miracle well, that means not dropping Alec Manoa. I don't need that expected production. I need the outside production. So it's not just about the actual statistics. When you're in the middle of the season, some of your uh, uh, some of your theory has to be based on risk. ATC projections actually do something. Uh, they give you a risk measure. So besides the expected statistics, which ATC is a compilation of a bunch of projection systems that gives you the base average, uh, beside, aside it being a good one, it also gives you the risk metrics of how different projections are. The more project projections are the same, the more sure we, we are. The more projections are different of a player, there's more upside and downside. So you can use that kind of analysis to say, okay, in a certain spot, I need to take more upside. In a certain spot, I need to not take more upside. I need to take more consistency. Uh, so that is one of the things I do look at, and it, it does work well. Uh, again, it doesn't work for everybody, but it does. Uh, two years ago, you know, uh, uh, we're actually, sorry, last year, Aaron Judge, he was one of the least riskiest guys. So wait a minute. Uh, if I want to pick a player in the second round, who's less risky than Aaron Judge? I was all over him. I had him in like half my leagues. Uh, that won me a bunch of leagues last year. Whereas I can't remember even who went in the second round last year, but somebody who might have been a better expected value according to projections, but more risky, I wasn't interested in. Because uh, I don't, you know, like the Bo Bichette, let's say. Um, fantastic player, but I'd rather have Judge because of the consistency um, if I'm picking a second round player. So, you know. Those types of things are, are useful. Well, and obviously, like, injury risk happens and, like, you can't predict that somebody's going to fracture a hamate bone or any of no. those types of things. But I, but I am interested, you know, you're talking about projection systems. And one of the things that I know projection systems do for the year is they sort of look at the last three years or five years or how, however much data you put into them. And then they try to spit out what they think the most likely outcome is based on that previous information. In the event that a player has gotten off to a hot start this season, they've slashed their K rate by 7% and they're hitting for more power or whatever, the projection system sees that as something that should regress in the second half as like that was an anomaly. And so the second, the rest of season projections are probably going to be lighter on that player because they have done so much in this part. How do we as fantasy managers and as people looking to use that data to make the best decisions here at the all-star break about how we can win our leagues going forward, input that and also correct for it in the sense of like, I know this person has made a substantive change and I'm, I'm in on the substantive change. 
Yeah, I mean it's hard. It's hard to pick out, you know, whether a change is real or not. And obviously, you have to look for the the other factors. For pitchers, you're looking at velocity. Oh, well, he's having better results. He's two ticks up. That's something else. Uh, player is changing his strikeout rate. Oh, he's having a much better batting average. Probably more legit, right? But in terms of raw projections, um, you know, just because somebody is overperforming doesn't mean they're going to underperform the rest of the season. You have to take that data just as you. If they had a good 2022, 2021, you would take that into account. Obviously, the the closer you are to this year, the the more important. You know, when 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 you, you mentioned like three years, five years, it's uh, projections don't take a straight average. Projections rely a lot more on the closer years than the past years. Maybe, for example, over the past three years, uh, last year they take sixty percent of the weight. The previous year before that, thirty percent, and then ten before that. Uh, project good projections in the middle of the season, take into account what they're doing during the season and add it as part of the data. I know steamer, for example, on fan graphs, they do that. Every event counts for some weight and the further back in time, it counts less. So 2023, anything that happens this year is taken very seriously. In fact, more seriously than anything happened last year. Um, the, if we're done with a half of 2023, that's worth, more weight than a half a season worth of 2022. In fact, it's probably worth more weight than the whole of 2022, right? Because you're taking into account much more recent data. Uh, so good rest of season projections do take that into account. Um, I would trust the going forward projections on systems that do that more than the actual year-to-date projections, right? Because year-to-date projections, they're going to regress up or down. When you factor that in on the fly and in terms of rest of season, I would I, I would bank on those rest of, pre, rest of season projections much more than I would just looking at the year alone or just looking at what I had preseason as a projection for a player. Oh, that's super interesting. So I, I'm curious with that. Who are a couple of guys that you think are particularly useful uh, to pick up now for the second half, maybe some trade targets or some waiver wire targets who seem to be uh, who look the projection systems really like them for having a good second half. Oh, uh, tough to say. Um, uh, take a guy like um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Jose Abreu. I think Jose Abreu on the Astros, I think he projects uh, to be a lot better. I mean, he in the first half, he was absolutely completely shot. He looked awful in the first half. But, uh, hey, he's starting to pick it up. Um, take a guy like uh, maybe Rowdy Telez. Rowdy Telez looked pretty bleak. The average was terrible. He's injured now, but he might be somebody that picks it up. Or Carlos Correa. Carlos Correa is not a 200 hitter. Uh, he's going to be a lot better than that. And if somebody's down on him, maybe you trade him. Oh, hey, who needs a two two twelve uh, hitter? You know, pick him up. Uh, that's somebody you might be able to trade for. And it goes the other way on on the other side. I mean, uh, uh, Luis Arias is he really a four hundred hitter? Is he really a twenty dollar fantasy player? Probably not. I mean, he's still one of the best hitters in baseball. But you know. When you evaluated him preseason, he's only a $7 player. That's going to be more of the expectation going forward and and things like that. Super interesting and some some names to keep an eye on. I mean, I want Luis Arias to hit close to 400 more than just about anything because I think it would be fun. And we haven't had that in baseball in a, in a really long time. Definitely well, not even, in my um, lifetime. Or how about you know he's he's hitting tonight in the home run derby. How about Vladimir Guerrero Jr.? I sure. think he's gonna I think he's think he's picking up the pace and power. Uh, I think you're gonna see a much better player over the second half. I mean that that's just straight regression and regression up in his case, right? Absolutely, and 
from your mouth to God's ears on Carlos Correa because I have him in Cat Wars and he's actually been on my bench Same. for the last couple of weeks. I just need, Same. I'm like, Same. I can't play you right now. I'm going to play Nico Horner and Matt McLean and Marcus Simeon instead. Uh, we'll yeah. see what happens. Um, this is super helpful, Ariel. Thank you so much for your time and your analysis. I'm going to end the show on the same question we always end the show on, which is, what is your best piece of advice for a new-ish fantasy player? Maybe somebody who knows what they're doing in different leagues, but is trying to make the jump to the NFBC or make the jump to an industry league, a, a tougher competition. What? How should they approach this game? Well, number one, you got to listen to Sarah Sanchez. That's, that's obviously the best piece of advice I can give anybody. Uh, so definitely do that. Uh, but yeah, you know, uh, hang in there is the is the best uh, for a mid-season player. Hang in there. I mean, if you're doing a roto league, those ratio stats, ERA, WHIP, uh, they can really move quickly. I mean, you don't, ha and you don't have to do anything. You can sit and do nothing and play nobody. And in the second half of the season, when the summer heats up and the ball goes flying, those ERAs on teams could come crashing down. Teams who want to pick up extra starts and go for strikeouts, well, they're going to hurt the, their own ERA, and they could actually drop below you. So you're you're going to see a lot more movement than you think. If you're within 20 points, of of winning or 20 points out of the money do not give up don't say you're 20 points out you still half the season going on right you know make a trade make a wire pick make make do any of that uh take the analysis that that uh, you hear on this show and others that you know have undervalued players and work on it believe it or not it works you trade people are willing to trade part of the game is trading Use that to your advantage. And don't just make one trade. Make four trades. You're not going to be right on every trade. But if you're right on three out of the four, you're going to accumulate a lot more talent. So hang in there. Do your deal. Um, and then uh, and then hopefully you'll enjoy it at the end of the year, right? And, of course, uh, definitely listen to my show also, the uh, Beat the Shift podcast. We, we have Matt Mervis on the show. Come on. I was going to say uh, part of the reason that I know anything about fantasy baseball as I listen to a lot of very smart people and the whole impetus for this show is to um, ask some of the questions that I have of some of the smartest baseball minds that I know, including Ariel. Ariel, where can people find you? How do they listen to Beat the Shift? Oh, go on any podcast aggregator and just type in Beat the Shift. You'll see uh, a brown logo for uh, the rotographs. Uh, so listen to that. We've got great guests every single week, including Sarah has been on our show a bunch of times. Uh, we got players, we got coaches, everybody come on, former major league players come on, you know, just a lot of fun every single week. Um, and uh, my work over at Fangraphs in the Rotograph section for fantasy, and uh, I write over at Rotoballer as well. And on Twitter, you can find me at ATCNY. It's only five letters, which uh, I think it's easier to remember. So at ATCNY. And uh, this has been awesome, Sarah. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for joining me. Ariel is a great follow on Twitter, and I never miss an episode of Beat the Shift. It's an outstanding podcast, lots of really good questions and food for thought for your fantasy teams. Always some good trivia, too. I uh, love listening yeah. to Beat the Shift. Uh, you can find me at, at BCB underscore Sarah. You can subscribe to the show by searching for Fans for Sports Network Fantasy, and we are right there. Uh, you will not want to miss an episode of What the Fab. We're bringing some of the greatest minds in the fantasy industry and all of our questions to you every single week. Till next time.